Pig X, Ideas in the Swine Industry Worth Sharing. Well, for today's Pig X podcast, we are going to be talking about the economics behind the swine industry and have two fantastic experts joining us today, Daryl Holtkamp and Lee Schultz. Daryl, I'll start with you. Give us a quick background about you and how you found yourself helping with this project. Yeah, thanks for the invitation, Delaney. I'm a professor in, in the veterinary diagnostic and production animal medicine department at Iowa State University here. I uh, work mostly with, with swine medicine. Before I got my uh, doctor of veterinary medicine, I was on the path to become an economist. I, I got a master's degree at ag economics at Iowa State University and then changed course and, and then went and got my veterinary degree after that. So it gives me a, a bit of a unique perspective on, on things. I, I guess I, as far as I know, I think I'm the only swine veterinarian in the U.S. that also has a degree in economics. And so I, I've been at Iowa State since 2006 on the faculty there. And uh, in addition to doing work research on the economics of disease, I spend a lot of time with biosecurity as well. And Lee, tell us a little bit more about your background. Well, thanks again for, for the invitation. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Economics and also an extension specialist here, here at Iowa State. And my role as, as really an extension specialist is in livestock economics. So it's understanding the current situation and outlook as it pertains to, to normal far market fundamentals, but then also as we've seen see events like the, the past COVID-19 event, as well as animal health issues that, that we've experienced over the last several years. Really anything that impacts the markets and has, a, has an economic impact is something that I focus in and, and study on. And, and really what's great about my position is, is the opportunity to collaborate, not only with folks here at the university, different departments. I've had great opportunities to collaborate with, with Dr. Holdcamp and also faculty in animal science but also working with stakeholders throughout the state. So if it's the Iowa Pork Producers Association or other industry partners are really helping bring that, that research and an extension to, to the real world. And so when you guys look at the real world, as you put it there, Lee, how does the market determine the value of pork? Just a general overview, you know, markets work in certain ways, but how, in specifically here in the lean hog markets, how do the value of a, how is the value of a hog determined? Well, I like to, to look at it as a, as a derived demand. And so ultimately what determines pork prices or prices of hogs, and if we see expansion or a contraction in the in an industry, is consumer demand. And we we a lot of times throw out consumer demand, but that's a very complex thing and one of the more difficult things to really measure. Not only is it domestic demand, where we but you could break that even further. And we've seen impacts here this this last spring with, with COVID-19 when you have roughly 50% is consumed at food service, 50% when you look at kind of the retail or grocery market, and when you see dramatic changes in that, that really changes the, the consumer demand profile. But then also exports is a tremendous market when, when you look at pork, roughly 25 to 30%. If you look at volume or value are on the export market. And so that's a really complex thing to measure. But 
importantly, we've had really strong demand here the last several years. And that's really what's helped support higher prices in the industry has really supported the growth that we've seen in the industry. One of the questions you had written here was what determines the value of a pig that dies? Yeah, so that's that's a big issue, I guess, when we look at trying to estimate the cost of disease and as well as doing cost benefit analysis. So if we're, we're looking to include a vaccine, for example, you know, it pays, I think, to take a little time and do a cost benefit analysis and and, and the benefit then of reducing mortality, if we can put a vaccine in and reduce disease that's going to end up reducing mortality, then for that cost benefit analysis, we have to put a dollar value on that reduced mortality. And so I, I see a number of different ways that that's done in the industry. And, and the, the truth is, there's really only one correct way to do that. And there's basically two things that happen when a, when a pig dies. First is that you lose the the opportunity to get the revenue on that pig. And then the second is, is you actually do get a little bit of a consolation prize in that you don't have to spend the money on the feed or other variable costs, primarily feed to get that pig all the way to market. So that, that savings offsets the lost revenue a little bit. And so that also then indicates or, or demonstrates why it's very important to consider when the pigs die, right? So if a pig dies on the way to market or the day before it, it's marketed, you lose the revenue, but there's almost no consolation. You've already invested all the, all the feed and other variable costs in that pig that you're going to. On the other hand, that pig dies the day after placement, then, then you're going to still lose the revenue, but you, you're going to save a lot of, of feed and other variable costs as a result of that. And so it really does matter when that, when that pig dies as far as the economics go. And Daryl, that sparked a question on my end. When you look at disease and the development of vaccines, is there a certain level or a certain number or, you know, how do they determine if it's economical to develop a vaccine for that specific disease or issue that they're having in the swine industry? Yeah, the, the, the biopharmaceutical companies that do that do look at, at those types of um, estimates or they, they try to predict, if you will, how much of an impact the, the vaccine will have on on pigs or on the disease specifically and then and then as a result how much it'll reduce mortality or other improve other productivity measures and they model that they they typically will try to come up with some sort of estimate so that they can get a handle on on their market projections so in other words what kind of market share can they capture and so they do they do do those kinds of things and they base you know they typically i think when i've been asked to help out with with those types of estimates it usually comes after they've done some of the the early efficacy studies and have some idea of what what that vaccine is going to do. And so when you look at the total cost, and I want to throw in their total time invested in a pig, at the time it dies, does it represent the value of a pig that dies? So the short answer is is no. So it's you have the, the cost invested, but I like to think of it as you're, you're not producing necessarily at break-even prices always, right? And so if it was truly a break-even, you, you could kind of look at it closer to a, you know, it's just the cost involved. But really, the important thing is that lost revenue. So it's that opportunity cost to market that full-weight pig. And, and potentially earn a profit if, if that's what, what the market is dictating. Also add on to the, the earlier discussion that the calculus involved in, in these, these calculations are, are, are not simple for the simple fact that numbers aren't static. So market, price, market prices are always changing. 
So they're changing day to day, they're changing week to week, they're changing year to year. And so to, to look at the cost of mortality, it's not a static figure because that opportunity cost is always changing, as well as that, that cost into that, that animal or the, the consolation that I don't have to incur those additional costs. As Dr. Holcamp said, those are changing as well as we see corn and soybean meal and distiller's grain prices changing all the time. So as Lee mentioned that, you know, it does get a a bit complicated. And and so that that's why I think you do see a lot of people, or at least I do, a lot of people who want to value that that pig that dies as the cost that's already invested in that pig, because that's a little easier, I think, for them to get an estimate of or to get their head around. But the, the most important, I think, error that happens when you do that is that it completely ignores, as Lee said, the the market price of the pig, right? Which, which does affect the value of a lost pig. And so in, intuitively, I hope most of the listeners can, can see that, that when a pig dies, if the industry is profitable and has very high pig prices at the time, that's more painful than if, if we have very low pig prices and, and, and producers are losing money. And so I, I think intuitively, it just makes sense, I think, that when we value a, a pig that dies or put a value on mortality, we have to, it has to take into account the, the market price of the pig, right? What is, what is the value of that pig if it, if it had made it to market? And so again, use that, that term opportunity. We, we lose that opportunity and, and the, the, uh, the extent of that opportunity or the magnitude of that opportunity depends on the market pig price. And as Lee mentioned, that can vary a lot. And so as consequently, that, that does mean that using rules of thumb and things like that for valuing mortality is also dangerous because those rules of thumb have some implicit market pig price behind them. And if that market pig price changes, then those rules of thumb are no longer valid. They're, I, I, I like to call those rules of thumb, they're, they're like a broken clock in that they're, they're occasionally right, but most of the time they're going to be wrong. And, and they can be very wrong at sometimes and, and lead us to make, make poor decisions. And do you see any difference between folks that are raising in contract settings versus independent producers? Do, do their costs or do their fixed costs differ or matter differently or way differently, I should say? Well, it, yes, it does matter. Uh, you have to look at what their incentive is. And so somebody that's raising pigs under under a contract is going to get paid on a, on a typically a per pig space basis on an annual basis. And, and they may or may not get some bonuses or have some bonuses that they can earn that are tied to mortality or other key productivity indicators. But to the extent that they're not tied to those key productivity indicators, then, you know, there, there may not be a lot of incentive there for the, for the contractor to, to reduce mortality because they don't necessarily get paid for that. And so the, all of the cost then of mortality in that case falls to the, uh, to the owner of the pig, or the, the production system typically. And so, yes, it does depend. And this is, this is why you typically see those types of clauses in those contracts to try to provide some incentive then for those contractors to, to care for those pigs better and try to minimize mortality as much as possible. And so to elaborate on that, do fixed costs truly matter? So the simple answer is no. When a pig dies, it's, it's not going to affect that fixed cost because by the nature of it, it it's a fixed cost. So I'm, I'm going to incur that regardless if I have production or the size of production or, or not. Now, where, where it, I think it gets a little bit of a gray area is 
what what we consider fixed costs. Now, building and equipment, you know, generally those are 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 fixed costs. But then you have these these quasi fixed costs of, of labor potentially that that kind of doesn't fit in in a strict fixed cost or a strict variable cost component. And, and so, does does labor matter? Yes, there in, in that sense. But but overall, importantly here that you're gonna re- if you reduce throughput your decrease in economic efficiency. And so, you know, it is it is going to be more costly per head to produce, but a lot of those fixed costs are sunk costs. And so you're not going to be able to recuperate those just because you have less production. And so, again, going back to the to the beginning, it, they, they aren't going to matter or does not affect, if a pig dies, it does not affect the, the fixed costs there. So does death loss impact optimal marketing weight of the pen or the barn? Again, short, simple answer is no. So decision-making should only affect the the future course of business. And if we kind of consider death loss as a sunk cost then, because you obviously can't recuperate it there, it should be irrelevant to to the decision-making process. So the issue here is a lot of producers or some may, if if you have some reduced or if you have increased death loss, you may want to try to recuperate that with more pounds sold. Now, you know, given a particular situation, you may have the feed to do it, right? Because you have less animals and you may have the space to do it. So from a logistical or, or production sense, you know, it, it may be possible or may make sense. But when you're looking at the optimal weight, that that decision rule is always the same. So the, the last pound to gain should equal the, the last value or the value that last pound should be that market optimal market weight. So what I like to think of here is if you're losing money on every additional pound, you shouldn't be feeding those animals to heavier weights. Right. Regardless, if you've had if you had some death loss, that was that was a, a cost to to the operation as well. And so, you know, here again, decision death loss should not come into play when you're talking about optimal marketing weight. I would agree with that, and and I, I think though death loss and and disease in general, uh, while it may not affect the what what the optimal weight to market the pigs should be or or is. It does affect the actual weight that pigs often get marketed out of groups. And so it, it, it does that, I would say, in a couple of ways. One is through variation, right? And, and oftentimes when we see a group of pigs affected by disease, not only do we get an increase in the average death rate and average, uh, let's say the average, average day the gain goes down, feed conversion on average gets worse. The other thing that happens is, is we tend to get more variation. And so you know, some pigs will get through that and, and continue to grow well, while others, you know, are set back for a longer period of time. Just like COVID affects some people more severe, severely than others. And so what happens uh, then is, is you get a lot of weight, a variation within a group of pigs as far as the weight. And so that makes it hard to feed those pigs because now you've got some heavier pigs in that group and, and some, some light, really lightweight pigs in that group. And so you can choose to feed to the heavier pigs, and, and in which case you're going to be probably feeding a diet that's that's not maybe underformulated for those lighter pigs, and they're going to perform even worse. Or you can choose to to feed the target the the lighter pigs, and and then you're going to spend more on that diet, higher protein levels, and so forth. And so it makes it hard to feed those pigs. But then on the marketing side, it also makes it very difficult then to market those pigs because of all the the variation in in uh, weight at as we approach that marketing window. 
And and so the heavier pigs, that's not as big of an issue because when the time comes, we can we can go ahead and market those at our optimal weights. Where the where the uh, problem comes in is as we get towards the end of that group, we have a choice to make. Then we either tie that barn up for a longer period of time, or we end up marketing a lot of those pigs that are at weights that are much lower than the optimal weight, and sometimes below even what the packing plants will accept. And so it's that left end of the of the weight uh, distribution then that that is most impacted then by by that the death loss and, and and the disease that caused it. I don't know about you, but I need a second to process all this information because there's been a lot of good stuff thrown around so far. I've been chatting with Dr. Daryl Holtkamp and Dr. Lee Schultz of Iowa State University to talk about the economics behind the swine industry and how that relates to swine survivability. I know it can be extremely frustrating as a producer to be a price taker during these market swings as opposed to a price maker as markets and numbers continue to drive our industry forward. So let's tune back in here for the second part of our conversation. You guys are throwing around a lot of different numbers and things to keep track of. Average daily gain, weight, mortality rates. There's a lot of numbers that growers are dealing with. Do you... I guess to start, what what value do these numbers hold? Does that make or break an operation? And secondly, do growers place enough value or emphasis on knowing and, and knowing these numbers? Well, so so when we put value on on disease or or conversely the value of putting some inter- intervention in place that's going to reduce disease, we typically look at averages. And and the reason we do that is because we don't generally measure what we need to measure to understand the variation. So in other words, to get, understand variation in the group of pigs, you, you have to weigh individual pigs, if not all of them, at least a, a, a sufficient sample, sufficient, sufficient number to get a, to get a large enough sample size. So, so we tend to focus on averages. And, and again, I, you know, those averages are, are when you try to put a value then on changes in those averages, becomes very complex. And so what, what I typically do is I rely on, on what I call production economic models. And those are just models built in spreadsheets that, uh, that sort of have the mathematical relationships between, for example, average daily gain and, and revenue and cost, right? And so you can ultimately then determine the changes in those revenues and costs based on changes in, in the average daily gain. And so, those typically again depend on what the current market pig prices are, what the current feed prices are. Those are probably the two big numbers, uh, but they're sensitive to those prices, right? And so again, the rules of thumb are a one percent, you know, decline in mortality is worth X per pig marketed, and those those just don't work. I, I see those floating around in the industry, and I, I urge uh, producers and veterinarians to, to just ignore those. So you really do have to have some sort of model, I guess, if you want to call it that, some sort of production economic model that that helps you do that. So, so that's that's what I rely on. I haven't seen any better alternatives to that, other than well, I haven't seen any better alternatives to that than. And the true true value of those models, I, I think, is you can put in the, the point estimate like the average, but you can run a lot of what if scenarios. And I think when you're talking about modeling the impact of really anything, it's not getting that that one true number, what you believe is the one true number. It's getting that that sensitivity or the confidence interval in in what that that impact is. And so, you know, there is the opportunity where if you have these models set up, you can easily change one price and it filters through the model because of all of those relationships. 
and shows what, what potentially the difference could be. And so there you can use some conservative estimates for, well, what if hog prices are, are this low versus this high? You can look at the various impacts or even looking at all the production parameters too, like average daily gain, all those things. You can change those to see what those impacts potentially could be. And Daryl, this question is directed towards you, but what are the main drivers of mortality? To answer that question, I like to point to the epidemiological triad, right? And that, that is a concept that, that, you know, the most swine veterinarians have had drilled into, into them from the early days of their, their veterinary education. And, and that is that you have this, these three factors working together. It's the, the pig itself, which, you know, in the, is in the case of infectious diseases is considered the host. You have the pig's environment and, and then you have the pathogens themselves, right? The, viruses or bacteria uh, that are that are going to cause disease in in the, in the pig. And so you have all three of those factors. You can't you can't just focus on the virus or the, the bacteria, you can't just focus on on the pig, you can't just focus on the environment. All three of those matter. And and so, you know, the pig pig is is a very resilient species. It can it can deal with a lot of adversity. You know, you can you can chill a group of pigs, uh, you can you can probably even have a feed outage now and then. Although that's that's probably not a good example. That that one usually is pigs don't adapt very well to, but but you can have these these events. But when you see the real train wrecks is is when you have both some pathogen challenge. So maybe you've got a group in fig, of pigs infected with PERS virus, and then and then you have perhaps some, the pigs are overstocked, maybe as a as a poor management or maybe just general lack of management there, and then maybe you have a chilling event or an out of feed event. And it's those combinations then that all come together and, and lead to these train wrecks. And so, you know, again, I think from an economic standpoint, you know, it's not it's not good, but it's not devastating when we have groups of pigs with, you know, five, six, seven percent wean to market mortality. But it, it's the, the really devastating, though, when you when you have those train wrecks where you have 20, 25 percent mortality there. And so, you know, I think it, it's it's important then again to focus on all of those focus on the pigs. So that's maintaining immunity in that pig. Maybe that's through vaccination or through managing uh, the sow farm in a way that minimizes the, the the pathogen load or the disease pressure on that pig. You got to worry about the environment, right? The environment uh, needs to be kept in a way that's that's not going to cause undue stress on the pig. So worry about the temperature, ventilation, gases, and so forth. Uh, focus on that. And then and then finally, the, the virus itself, you know, managing pig flows in a way to minimize, again, the pathogen Presence of the pathogen or the disease pressure, biosecurity. If you if you have a group of pigs that's weaned, it's negative for PERS virus or PED virus. Uh, you don't want to keep it that way all the way through. And so that's an area that's just now starting to get more attention is biosecurity in in the wean to market phase of production. And so you, you can't just focus on one thing, or or even when you have these train wrecks, you can't just go out and point your finger at one thing. It's that combination, that epidemiological triad there that you have to focus on to 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 improve that. And so. There's not a single driver to summarize that, Delaney, but there, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to sort of look at all of those. Uh, I think in, in, in any, any attempts to sort of point the finger at single drivers is probably missing the big picture. And so then when you look at macroeconomics, does death loss affect supply and demand and prices? Short answer is yes. But this, I, I would say, is, is very disease specific. And also, it's not necessarily very easy all the time to 
distill out the individual impact of a disease versus all the other market fundamentals. Now we do that in kind of post ex post analysis, but again, that's very difficult. So let's take a couple of diseases, for, for example. We look at some endemic diseases like PERS, for example, uh, there, we, we know that that impacts supply, right? As, as, it, as, it, impact, as it increases death loss, we have, see an impact on, on supply, but that is not a really demand impacting disease. Like, like a disease where we would see four animal diseases where, where it'd be trade limiting, for example. And we know we would have consumers step away from that. So there's a fact where, yes, it reduces supply, but probably doesn't impact demand, but does have, have a potential impact on, on price. But the, the thing with PERS is, you know, that is, it's been in the market for quite a long time. And so we, we don't really know the counterfactual if it was removed overnight. Now, if it would be higher, lower prices because you'd all of a sudden have greater supply on the marketplace. But there, you know, it's a case where it's something that the market is dealing with. Yeah. So, so PED is a good example. In 2013, when PED virus was introduced into the U.S., that morning where, when that was announced, I, I remember it was on a Friday. I don't remember the exact date, but I was watching the CME Lean Hog contract very closely that morning. And, and immediately, actually it happened before it was officially announced. It turns out that there was a rumor that started uh, from an unknown source that morning. And that was around 10 o'clock in the morning. And it was interesting because that, at about that time in the morning, the, the, the CME Lean Hog prices had been about even. But for just a few minutes, I will say, it wasn't even, very, uh, it wasn't even an hour, the, the market pig price took a big dip. So that, that rumor kind of hit the market. And, and, and so the Lean Hog contract prices took a big dip, but it came right back up, I would say, with, again, within about an hour. And, and so the, you had sort of a, a, a real life experiment going on there where, where the people who do this for a living, who try to, who try to stay abreast of the market, were, were trying to make a quick assessment. Was this going to be a trade limiting disease? So that, w- that would have been their main fear that would have drove the prices down. As Lee mentioned that, you know, we would lose at that time about 20% of our demand in a heartbeat. And, and so the, I think that was the market's initial concern. But then I think as, as uh, they quickly got on the phone and, and I, and I know those phone calls were made that morning trying to understand what that, what that pathogen was and what disease, what the disease that, that caused the PD would do to pigs and whether or not it would be trade limiting that, that kind of circulated very quickly in the market, I think made an adjustment to that. So. PD was a good example then, and, and those that remember that the year that followed, you know, the, the markets, once they kind of got a handle that this was going to be a production limiting disease that wasn't going to impact both trade demand or was not going to be trade limiting. And uh, the other concern early on was would, what, what would producers think, or I'm sorry, what would consumers uh, think about it? Would, would it affect their consumption of pork? Uh, so if they feared that perhaps PD virus was a zoonotic disease that could cause disease in humans as well, would they eat less pork? And so as it became clear that the main effect for, on PD virus or of PD virus was going to be production limiting, and that was going to have its impact on the supply, it was going to reduce supply in the U.S. and, and not uh, affect demand, then the market very quickly got on top of that and prices went up. In fact, they probably overshot that a fair bit. And then as, as the actual production came to be or came to be known, then we realized kind of 
that yes, indeed, market pig prices needed to be higher that, that year to balance supply and demand because supply was quite a bit lower than it was the year before. The interesting thing about that, though, is that that, that happened because that was a shock, right? It happened in a very short period of time. And why that's interesting is because if you think about PERS virus as a counterpart to PED virus, it too causes mortality. In fact, it causes mortality every year at levels much higher than PED virus did in, in 2013 and 2014. And, and so why doesn't it, why doesn't that affect market pig prices on a regular basis? Well, the truth is it does. We just don't recognize it. It, it, it has a constant effect on pig prices. In fact, the, the effect is, is, is essentially increases the cost of production. And, and so in a, in a free market like we have, that's going to tend to raise the, price support because the, where the supply and demand sort of balance is going to be a higher price than it would be otherwise. So if we could find a, a way to eliminate PERS virus from the United States, if we could do that over a one-year period of time, we would recognize that prices, hog prices would go down as a result of that, just like they went up as a result of PED virus. So it's, it's very interesting, I think, you know, as, a, as my perspective, sitting there seeing that, that interaction or that uh, interface where, where sort of health and veterinary medicine came together with economics that year. And, and so it was, I, th- I think, a very, uh, very interesting and one that's important, I think, for producers to keep in mind, too. And so at the end of every episode, we have been trying to share, have the experts share kind of some take home messages, if you will, you know, things that are easy to remember or implement and we've talked about a lot of different things here, a lot of great information with both of you. But do you have any, you know, easily rememberable take-home messages about the economics behind the swine industry? Delaney, I, I think this has, I guess that leads me to think about some of the things that I try to try to teach our veterinary students at Iowa State University. And, and that is, is that when I was in their seat over 20 years ago now, you know, we were starting to think about the economics of disease a little bit more, but we still, that was not something we got in the course of our lectures. And, and so the question then now is, is first of all, should that be different now today? And if so, why? And, and the, the answer is yes, it, it is, should be different today. Uh, and that's driven, been driven largely by the economics of the industry. And, and what's happened is, is that we've consolidated industry. So we have a lot fewer farms, but the farms that we do have now are much bigger. And then we often have those farms in large production systems. And so decisions we made in, let's say, 30 years ago about whether or not to implement a vaccine or, or to include antimicrobials or, or whatever that animal health intervention was, oftentimes the stakes were not near as high. So we may have affected a few thousand pigs. But, but today, many of those same decisions about choice of a vaccine or whether to use a vaccine can affect millions of pigs a year. So, you know, I guess what that what that does then is it puts a lot of pressure, I guess, on trying to get a handle on what the economic impact of disease is today and then what that savings will be if we if we can reduce the impact of the disease or reduce the impact of mortality. And so, you know, that 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 is a new skill set that that many veterinarians that graduated when I did didn't necessarily have that the, the ones that are graduating to graduating today uh, need to have that. And so I think if I could, you know, speak not just to swine veterinarians or swine veterinary students specifically, but I do think that having that understanding of the economics of production, the business side of it is, is far more important today than it was, was 30 years ago. And, and that, that may not, that may seem obvious, but I think it, 
it, it does uh, it is useful to sort of think about why is is that case today and, and it's mainly again driven by the economics of the consolidation in the industry so I think it's really important to appreciate the economic forces drive that that impact an individual operation or we can even aggregate that up to to the industry so you know the the phrase that you know I, I like to use here and is you know you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and so the you know operations or the industries are going to be challenged by animal health impacts, by droughts, by a lot of different shocks to to the the marketplace, right? And you know, I think operations really have evolved over time, have really become very efficient. So when we're talking about making changes to, you know, reduce the impacts of, of, of animal disease and, and to improve survivability, it's really just changes on the margin, right? It's not whole, wholesale large changes. I think it, it a lot of times can be just some small tweaks because those operations are already set up to be very very efficient and very, you know, resilient a, a lot of times. And so I think it's, you know, important that that we we develop this careful balance between kind of the efficiency that we have a lot of times in, in, in normal times. One percent of the time or however we measure that, we're going to see some disruptions. And so how how do we make a, an operation or, or an industry at, at large maybe a little bit more resilient? And I think a lot of times it is just small tweaks and isn't necessarily wholesale changes. And so I think what a lot of times there may be calls for change after a major disruption, like a large animal disease outbreak. But once we kind of work through the calculus of that, I think it, it shows a lot of times the industry has responded very well and that just going forward, we learn from that situation and, 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 build a little bit more resiliency into the system. Economics and the swine industry don't necessarily sound like they go together, but they go hand in hand. Markets can impact the swine industry just as occurrences in the swine industry can affect market moves. It's like the domino effect. You don't always know what will happen next. But if you're wanting to know what happens on the next Pig X podcast, be sure to subscribe on whatever device you're listening to this episode on. I'm Delaney Howell, and this has been the Pig X Podcast. Pig X is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email IPIC at iastate.edu. Big X. Ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.